Hey, what it do, sports fans? Welcome to the Sports Live podcast brought to you by Multimedia Live. I'm Sboom Jigeliso, your host, and I will be joined by various guests on this exciting new podcast to discuss the latest ins and outs of the sporting world. Hey guys, it's that time of the year where we know that you're sitting in front of your computer pretending to be working, but in truth, you're listening to the Sports Live podcast. And we really, really appreciate you being part of this journey. Sports Live podcast has been running for nearly six months now, and we have amazing, amazing content to last you through till you get that deserved December break and starting this week with the head coach of the national women's soccer team. I'm talking about none other than Desiree Ellis, who of course has an amazing story to tell. Aside from that, we actually delve into issues and some of the highlights of the year regarding the women's game and it's a great conversation and we hope to have her over a whole lot more great mind of the game she understands the game of football in a way that nobody else that has spoken to about football does and i think you guys will enjoy this and plenty other conversations that we have in store for you we'll, we'll we will not be delving however into the mainly live stuff for the updates but of course you know you can always go to timeslive.co.za so Witten live bd live as well as all the other group sites where you'll get all your content and of course use the hashtag sports live to interact with us and chat with us if you've got something to say if you'd like to share something with the sports live podcast or to react to some of the conversations we've had recently and if you've missed it we've had Banto Olomisa reacting to Mbuiseni Nlozi talking about the Springboks we've had Warren Whiteley and Ryan Kankowski reacting to the Springbok World Cup victory we've had Man, we've had Mahlat um, Mpachele talking about the Sundowns dynasty. Is it coming to an end or not? We've had Elliot Farner talking about the rise of Lukanyo Am and Magazole Mapimpi at, from all the way from the border Bulldogs. We had Mark Haskins talking about the Chief, Keza Chiefs' title search. So we've had quite a lot, uh, in the recent weeks, which if you have missed, please go to at timeslive.co.za forward slash multimedia where you will find the Sports Live podcast and you will definitely hear a whole lot of other interviews that we've had and other episodes which have been truly, truly amazing. It's been great. Please do enjoy this next episode of the Sports Live podcast. I am especially excited because our next guest is probably the most prestigious sports person we've had in studio and perhaps on this podcast. We've had professional athletes, we've had professional coaches from rugby, cricket, as well as football. But for the first time, we are having a national team coach. Please, ladies and gentlemen, round of applause for Miss Desiree Ellis, who is the national women's team coach, otherwise known as Banyana Banyana. Welcome, Desiree, and thank you so much for making time to come to the Sports Life podcast. Sibu, thanks for having me, and I'm really humbled by your kind words. Yeah, no, uh, you are definitely the most high-profile 
most distinguished guest we've had so far in this um, five or six months that we've been pushing the podcast for the group. And I must say, I am very, very excited, but I'll try to keep my <laughs> my nerves down and uh, be as professional as I possibly can. But welcome. Um, obviously, everybody has taken note of the job you've done uh, as coach of the national women's team. Uh, prior to you becoming permanent, you had a long run of, I think, 18 months or almost two years where you were in an interim role. And, you know, a lot of people, including myself, uh, were clamoring for you to become permanent. How hard was it for you to be patient and, and just continue to coach the team without the security of knowing that, okay, I'm the head coach now. I've got this. I've got the job. You know, first of all, it's always a collective yeah. from us. Um, it's never about an individual. But, um, you know, when I got appointed as the as the interim coach, um, I just took it in my stride. You know, I wanted to make sure that um, that the team is well prepared, that mm. the team is well mm. organized and everything else. And whatever happens going forward, whether it's me or whether it's someone else that gets the job, that the team is in the good shape. But yeah. uh, I believe that you can only control the controllables. Um, and my faith is strong and I believe that if God wanted it to happen, mm. it would have happened. And uh, they always say God is always on time. Yes. So uh, it happened like in a week prior to us going to the Cyprus Cup um, when I was appointed as, as, the, as the head coach. But, uh, you know, God uh, puts you in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I can imagine. And I've read it and, and listened to a lot of interviews you've done in the past. And. Uh, from that, I've gathered that your father, who unfortunately is late, mm -hmm. um, was a very big influence in your footballing career, your love for, for the sport. How proud do you think he would have been to see you actually become a head I coach? I think um, I'm becoming emotional, but I think immensely. Um, yeah. You know, he was the driving force. He was the critic, the, the biggest critic I ever had. Yeah. You know, um, he never had, uh, never said that I did well. Um, but behind my back, uh, you would speak to people and say, fathers uh, usually like you know, yeah, um, yeah. you get some fathers that, mm. um, you know, uh, um, are not too critical of the of the children. But my dad was very critical and I always wanted to do better and do yeah. better. And I think um, that's the reason why I went out and, and really uh, did the best that I could yeah, do yeah. to please him. But uh, we'd win 5-0, I'd scored five goals, and he'd still not be happy. She <laughs> drives a hard bargain. <laughs> no, definitely, but yeah. I, I can only think that, you know, he would have been immensely proud. There's no two ways about that. No, it's, it's incredible. I mean, also, you played in an era where the first national women's team was formed and, and you were part of it, and... Now, we're only now talking about trying to professionalize the, the women's game. So you played in an era where putting together a women's national team was probably like, I don't know, putting, <laughs> putting together like a, like a whole new sport altogether, you know. Um, what was it like in those early days where, you know, I, I guess what players have now, I mean, when you've got Rafael Jana playing for AC Milan ladies, it's a luxury. I remember, um, you know, getting the opportunity to come for a, for a tryout for Banyana Banyana, the very yeah. first squad and uh, mm. working in a, in a meat market and uh, really very excited. And the boss is saying, look, uh, it's up to you. And I'm thinking, you know what, you know, at the very young age of 30, uh, this yeah. is a, this is a dream. And. Um, our former late president Nelson Mandela got released, and I got this opportunity. We went, we travelled in a minibus in those days, coming up for 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 a try to make the national team. And uh, 
uh, made the national team as the vice captain um, yeah. back then, um, you know, and on the way back, you know, we got a puncture and I got to work late and I lost my job, but... Uh, at a meat market. <laughs> at a meat market. Yeah. I'm not going to say um, I didn't care, but I was, I was not living my dream, you know, the dream of, of being part of the national team. Yeah, yeah. And uh, on debut, scored a hat-trick, one of three players, mm. um, and we won 14-0. Something, yeah. Won 14-0 against uh, Swaziland, Swaziland, that's right. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, I had the likes of Kabuzita, you know, Fikile mm. um, Sotoli, um, Sibungeli Kamalo. I mean, those were fantastic players. Yeah. Back then, and Solomon came after. Porsche came. Yeah. Almost when, almost when I retired, but uh, what a group of players I played with in that era. What a great group of players. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, somebody said to me recently that South African sports and, and in football are the most prodigious when it comes to raw talent. Because to put together a national team off the streets is, is, is ridiculous. And you'll find that we're still not at the level of coaching expertise that we ought to be, especially in, in, in at development level. But still, we're still able to produce a team that can go to the FIFA Women's World Cup this year. And the men's team has been punching above its weight for a while. And... Like, do you agree with that naturally that there were a lot of, you played with and against a lot of naturally talented South African women at the time? No, most definitely, you know, I think Kabuzita, um, I think she's the most skillful player I've ever played with and against. Yeah. She could do things with the ball that no one else could do, yeah. you know. Joanne, I think a natural goal scorer, which the country is dying for mm, um, at mm, this present mm. moment. Um, yeah, Fakili Sotoli, she wasn't called 16 Val for nothing, yeah. you know, all the skills, etc. Then, then you had Porsche coming in late, um, and I, I've not, I knew Porsche, I knew Porsche as a 14 year old. I remember mm, there was a player mm. back in Cape Town who was going to be the next thing in Cape Town football, and oh. Porsche completely destroyed her in one tournament. Really? What, what was the player's name? If you um, I think her name was Kamalita, I'm not 100% sure, oh, okay. but. Porsche but complete. she was like the, the, next the big, star. The next best thing was going to be from Cape Town football, and Porsche absolutely destroyed her. You wow. know, people think she's got. She, people think she's arrogant, but she's got this self confidence, yeah, arrogance about her that you know, give me the ball, and I can do whatever I'll, it I'll, is. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's how, that's something. that's that's how good Porsche was, and and as a fourteen year old, she made our under under nineteen national team, mm-hmm. along with another talent from Cape Town who eventually fizzled out because of injury, Candice Lowe. Yeah. Um, but we have such a lot of talent in this country, but we've got, it's got to be nurtured properly. That's I the think, thing. I think, I think I, that is, you know, that is the big thing. Yeah, uh, people tend to not back. concentrate on the basics mm, because mm. if you can't pass and receive, you can't take it to the next level. Yeah, yeah. You know, I speak to Leandra and she says that all they do in Sweden is passing drills, and you can see the benefits of that. Yeah, you know the benefits because we uh, we a short nation. We never gonna <laughs> we never gonna be competing with the mm. wing play and all of that. So, you know, and, and and the biggest challenge we face, obviously, as you know, it's goal scoring. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, with all the challenges that have that have come and passed, you've managed to. You're the one coach that's actually gotten the Banyana team. A little over the line over some stumbling blocks like beating Nigeria in in competition we did that at the last AFCON unfortunately we couldn't do it when it mattered the most in the final but psychologically that that aura about them is gone now they can't say that we've never lost to South Africa or we've never lost a competitive game to South Africa um, after that and that must have freed your players to just go out there and 
uh, that was a tournament where they qualified for the World Cup. That's right. That's yeah. Right, yeah. So I mean, that that must have been great for self belief. I think I think the self belief really started in uh, 2017 when mm. we were three 0 down to Zambia um, in the Kasafa Cup semi-finals. Yeah, with the, yeah. With about I think it was the 73rd, 74th minute, we were down. And just we just couldn't get going in that game, and yeah. then just out of nowhere, the score was three three, and I think that's where everything changed, you know. And then preparing for obviously um, preparing for for the Afcon, um, we knew twenty eighteen was going to be very very important. Mm. And then I got appointed in Feb- in February as the as the head coach. We went to Cyprus. Uh, we got our best position ever, yeah. um, fifth position, and very close to even getting a better position. And then, obviously, the the Kosafa Cup with Cameroon and Uganda being there. Mm. And I remember 2016 when we went to Afcon. Um, the first half we were outstanding, and Cameroon just bullied us off the ball, mm. you know, yeah. physically. And that was going to be um, a challenge for us in Afcon. And I think our superior fitness really told in that tournament. And yeah. we knew that we were on the right path. And and then. Um, the draw came out, and, and it's Nigeria. <laughs> it's Nigeria, and we knew, you know, that yeah, we yeah. needed to be in superb physical condition. And I work with a fantastic group of people, mm. performance mm. analysts who's really down to the T, really in detail on opponents, assistant coach who mm. who knows, you know, um, the players and mm. everything mm. else, and, and fitness trainer as well. And we made sure we had a camp early. We made sure that we put things into place. We left for Ghana early, you know. Yeah. Had a, had a friendly against them, played some players who had just come back. Yeah. Uh, but we knew the first game was going to be the most important. And I think the players were absolutely magnificent yeah. in putting the plan together, forcing Nigeria to play a different type of football than they used to. You know? Yeah, because they're used to lumping it up yes. and, and, yeah. and really being direct, being very, very direct. But I must admit, you know, uh, it was really in, this, in the football gods were really on our side. Yeah. They got a chance early on, yeah. you know, and they didn't take it. And they expected Tembi to play because he had planned. Yeah. He had planned. He came to all our Cyprus, all, all he came to all our Cyprus Cup games. Yeah. Um, but we had played players in different positions yeah. and he had planned for Tembi. And when Tembi came on, I don't think they were ready. Sure. And what a phenomenal talent Timmy Khatlani was, and what a goal she scored at the FIFA oh World Cup as well in France. <laughs> she surprises us so much with those fantastic goals she scores. I man. know. I mean, it even had the British tabloids gushing about that goal, and I know it wasn't the the you know the perfect outcome in terms of results and stuff like that. But I thought South Africa being a plucky underdog first time is I thought. You know, there were there were there, there were moments where you felt that you know bounce of the ball this way or that way you could have gotten you could have gotten a result. But to be at that stage, I think for me that that was that was that was a victory. That was a massive victory actually um, for for the country. The biggest pity, though, I have to mention this is that it wasn't televised to the masses. That was the that was the biggest biggest thing. And and I think moving forward broadcast and I know and we're going to talk about the Safa Women's League that 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 began this year broadcast is about as integral to professionalizing the game as as any other aspect of the game no most definitely you know you want to attract sponsors yeah. and you attract sponsors through that and uh, it's unfortunate that it wasn't played to to, to the masses didn't didn't see it it yeah. was just unfortunate and uh, you know, um, I still get goosebumps thinking about the moment when you walk out there and you see the South African flag and the anthem gets sung. And uh, I, 
it was an emotional moment for all of us. Yeah. But um, I was just very excited that it didn't, the players were not in awe of it. And as you said, if the ball had bounced differently, if we'd scored the second goal, yeah. and just after half time scored 2 0, there's no way we were going to concede three. Yeah. And then uh, the VAR decisions uh, that went against us came at crucial times because I was timing everything. I said, if we can not concede by the 70th minute, we're going to win this. And then, we, and then we conceded the first penalty. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then from there, the, I think the morale of the team as well kind of dips a little bit. Because in the game, you had those milestones. And so you got players thinking, ah, no, we've conceded. And then. We were still in it though at 1 1. Um, yeah. But pushing and then 2 1 down and with 10 players, yeah. pushing, pushing, you're naturally going to get caught. Yeah. But. Uh, I thought uh, no one really gave us a chance. You looked at Thailand, they lost 13 nil, Much higher ranked than us. Yeah. Um, so people expected really, really big scores. Yeah. Um, but I felt that we gave a good account of ourselves, not having a professional league, um, having to send exactly. out send out um, programs to players to make sure they come into camp in a good shape. Yeah. And that's why I take my hat off to the professionalism of the players because they really go out mm. and work. It's crazy. I, the, prior to that tournament, I, I was listening to this lovely uh, Sports Illustrated podcast in, in, in the US. You know, they obviously have the best uh, team in the world. They're world champions, multiple times world champions. But they were talking about how it was back in the day, how the women's game evolved. And it's 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 still fairly young in, in when we're talking global sports, right? About how FIFA's rules were 80 minutes for a women's match because they didn't think women could play 90 minutes and they had all these rules that were so archaic and largely sexist and stuff that that really that really uh, did not make sense and the FIFA Women's World Cup wasn't really a World Cup until 1999 it was like the FIFA Women's Championship or something like that they wouldn't recognize it as, as the World Cup and it took a long long time for uh, the women's game to be where it was when we saw the France tournament, uh, mm. the, the the biggest television audience that it's ever had, um, kind of transcended the game. Really, uh, what was it like to actually be there and witness, possibly, possibly the tournament that 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 said to the world, "Look, women's football is like here, and it's it's not a separate sporting code." to the rest of football? You know, it boils down to a whole lot. Um, you know, the professionalism of everybody at the tournament, yeah. um, the logistics, you know, um, everything else around the tournament says, said to us that you're at a different level now, yeah. you know, and being being part of it, the way everything was set up, um, you know, on time, um, everything is set up for you. You have meetings prior yeah. um, to all of that. And uh, when we went for the draw, we had to sit down with different people, um, uh, looking at accommodation, looking at transport, um, where we were going to train. We even went to, to the one stadium, etc. So it's not something that we were used to because for all of us, it was our first time. Yeah. Um, but just the whole professional professionalism of it, of but it, also yeah. players now being able to test themselves mm. uh, against other players that they've seen on television, mm. you know, or mm. that some of them might, might even have idolized. Yeah. And for them to be able to test themselves at that level um, and the messages you get from fellow coaches, you know, uh, Jill Alice sent me an email and she says, you guys have got this, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, when we left the, the World Cup, she said, 
you should be proud of what the, the whole group has achieved yeah. because I think people didn't expect that. Yeah, coming right from a so. coming from a World Cup winning coach, of course, you know? <laughs> that must be like the yeah. biggest pat on the back. And um, yeah, that USA team is, is, is something else. But then again, you know, with the USA, the resources they have, of course. Um, but you know, do you know the model that got them there? Um, also, again, this is from me listening to hours and hours of podcasts and having nothing much to do with my life. Um, do you know in the U.S. they have this scholarship by law, um, this uh, varsity scholarship where if you take a sporting uh, scholarship, you can choose a sport you want to play as long as you play a particular sport. And what they did was they opened that to football uh, for women. So for every sporting scholarship that the men in, uh, enjoy, whether it's basketball, uh, NFL, or baseball, they have to offer an equal amount it's ti- it's to ti- it's called, girls. It's yeah. called Title Nine. Title Nine. Yeah, that's it came into called. effect, and that way there was equal scholarships. Yes. Prior to that, there was nothing. Exactly. Um, there was e- there was equal scholarships, and that's where everything started. And then and then you found all the young girls said, "Okay, I can go in and play football, and I can get an education exactly. as well." And then that just opened up. I think they said about like three million, um, a pool of three million players just suddenly. Um, exploded throughout the whole of, of, of the U.S. And, you know, in South Africa, we're struggling with, a, you know, trying to make the game truly professional and, and spreading it out as much as possible. Why are we battling to put in some of these uh, legislative... I think um, um, it, also, it also requires um, sponsorship yeah. more than anything. Um, and uh, you're always urging sponsors to come on board um, yeah. because... Everything that happen that starts, it, it needs a little bit of money. It does, yeah, yeah. But um, it's not where we want to be. Um, the National League is now formed, recently formed, mm. but it's not where we want to be. But it's a start in the right direction. Yeah. You know, players are traveling now. It's a little bit more professional. They almost come into camp. Mm. Um, mm. They get to play against other teams from different provinces. And I think the level has been raised a bit. Um, because it's the best play teams out of the different provinces, so mm. the level has been raised a bit, and uh, it's putting a lot of teams and uh, players and coaches under pressure. Yeah, um, you know, to get themselves organised and to get themselves sorted. Um, before, when it was just launched, um, most of the players in the national team were still coming from the SAS League. Now, the yeah. recent, the recent one. Um, to Japan, there were only five players that came from the SAS League. Ah. And we had said that in, in the not-too-distant future, most of the best players are going to be playing in the National League. Yeah. And a lot of the teams have already recruited those play, those players. Of so course. it's already getting better and better. Yeah. Uh, SAS League, of course, you had uh, very strong clubs like um, Janine van Beek's club, uh, mm. JVW They Girls. just won the Gauteng League, yeah. Ah, they, they're incredible. The stuff Janine van Beek does for, for the game, I think, is going to be more amazing than what she's done actually on the pitch um and uwc uh usually another strong team and nationally your mamelodi sundowns ladies you have your you have your tutu with the sassel national champions as well um it's a big game this weekend (laughs) yeah (laughs) mamelodi sundowns and Uh, tut oh really 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 top of the table clash really looking forward to that and uh you know, it gives players now an opportunity to test themselves at, yeah. at a level as well. How often do you watch games? Do you try and watch as, as much as possible? I know a few have been broadcast. That's um, right. the, the I know the, the guys at SAFA have been trying to push 
the broadcast aspect of it. And I know we've got sponsors like Sassar and Nike who've who've tried to hop on to the, the national women's game, which is great. I mean it's they've done phenomenal stuff, but they can't be alone, excuse me. They can't they can't be alone. No. There has to be uh, there has to be an, an, an influx. I mean there has to be co- competitive sponsorship as well. I mean we've got we've got some of the biggest in terms of stars, um, Tembi, we've spoken about, Rafilwe, uh, Leandra, you know, I think not just maybe team sponsorship, but personal look, sponsorship look, as well. A lot, a, a lot of way. them, a lot of them are sponsored um, individually, um, yeah. Nike, Umbro, etc. Um, and that is um, transcended from the national team doing so, so well. So but well, I agree yeah. with you, you cannot do it without sponsorship and uh, I'm surprised that no one has come on board, you know, with the national team doing so well. Yeah. I'm surprised that no one has come on board to support Cecil because they on their own cannot do it al- yeah. alone, you know. You, you urged more sponsors to come on board and now with there being a game, sometimes there were two games over a weekend mm. um, and one game uh, sometimes as well being broadcast, the, the mileage is there for, for, for the sponsors mm. to, to come mm. on board because the, yes, this is the start of the of 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 of, of, of professionalism, but it's still purely amateur yeah. if you look at it on a national on a national level. And hopefully, in the not too distant future, it's going to become professional. But I think this is preparing everyone for the next stage. Um, you know, to be to become professional, and we're hoping that the uh, sponsors will come on board pretty shortly because it can only help the game develop even further. Our U17s and our U20s mm. don't even have mm. a sponsor, you know. So it just shows if that comes on board, how far the game yeah. can be developed even further. I know you've been involved with the Walter Sisulu or the Discovery Walter Sisulu uh, Soccer Challenge. Um, what is the what is the youth process like in, in the women's game? What is what are the what are the levels and how is the development like in, in at that level of the game? Look, um, we have the the LFAs around the country. I know mm. there's not all the LFAs that that do have it, but there's under thirteen, under fifteen, and under mm. seventeen mm. Um, girls football um, as well. But I think the varsity sports has, has been big. Right. I think they've sort of bridged the gap from school level, um, where not many games, much football is played, mm. Mm. Um, to to club football, and it's sort of almost bridged that gap. Uh, you know, they've given players the opportunity to play the varsity. Yeah. The Varsity Cup is big. The USA Club Champs is big. You yeah. have the World Student Games. And if you look at the national team now compared to when I was playing, mm, mm. Uh, back then uh, there was maybe 90% that were unemployed. Now you have 90 or even more that are graduates or that are currently still yes, studying. And, that, that's, you know, so and it's some really of them have gotten chances in the U.S. Obviously, Jenny that's, that's correct, I know yes. Amo Mutao as well, who was the under-20 captain not so we have, long we have, ago. We have quite a few players. In, we have quite a few US. players studying in the U.S. Um, Linda, Linda was in the U.S. As, as well. But she was at Houston Dash along with Janine. Along and, with Janine, and yes. And Tembi. Yes, li, you have uh, Nelly Mamabolo that was in the U.S. Yes. You had Nomula that was in the U.S. Mm, mm. Um, you had Rashana, you had Shamal that was in the US. You mm. had Megan Newman that has come back. Yeah. That was in the US. You had Odie that studied in the US. So, you know, there was a there was a lot of players. J- yeah, Jermaine. Jermaine yeah, Jermaine yeah. as Jermaine. well. She went to yeah. she went to Samford that studied in the US. Yeah. So there's quite a Kaylin Swat studied in the US. Robin Moodley studied in the yeah. US. So those are all the opportunities that players got out of football. And you take an education out of that yes. as well, which is amazing. But now in South Africa it's even bigger. Yeah. It's even bigger, yeah. you know. You in the National League currently, you have three universities. 
You have University yeah. of Johannesburg, you have uh, TUT, and you have UWC. UWC yeah, so yeah. it shows it shows how the game how the game is grown. I love the UWC sports program. Um, I think Chester Williams, the late Chester Williams, was the head of of of, of rugby there, and I think before he passed away, he was overseeing That's the whole right, sports yes. program and just the way they've they take sports on um, as of course education is their core but they feed the sporting to the education no that's that's true the 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 current uh, banyan assistant coach is the head coach of uwc there you go um jabulili baloy who's the ass- assistant coach of university national team is at yeah. university of johannesburg uh-huh. you know Maud, so, Ko- Maud Komalo is at Tux University so you've got synergy as well yes, within, within the national the, team because the head yeah, coach of the university yeah. national team is the assistant coach of Banyana yeah so it's all that so, so now it feeds in also she's your eyes then that's correct yeah uh, elsewhere when mm-hmm. you are not there because you can't be everywhere no yeah I mean <laughs> with all due respect we haven't most probably seen thousands and thousands of players quite possibly yeah. and uh, quite it's just possibly. unfortunate because you know you, you cannot be everywhere all the time mm. um mm. and and people don't realize how difficult it is to select a squad yeah <laughs> i can imagine i mean there were a few people who weren't happy not being part of the world cup squad as well but that's 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 selection people miss out and um it it, it is painful for those that do miss out and those that actually people don't know that but uh as a former national player i got dropped four times Oof. and i had to find my way back into the national squad all the time so yeah. uh, it's not easy but uh you know, it's it's quite difficult. I think I think the worst thing as a coach is to to tell a player that they haven't made it, mm. um, because it doesn't mean that the player um, is not a good player. Yeah. But each and every coach, you know, has what they're looking for that they think will will add well. value to the mm, team. Mm, mm, um, and sometimes that player just doesn't fit in. You know. Ah, it's a bit harsh. Yeah, I know it's, it's it's hard for any sportsman or woman. Um, I don't. I remember. Uh, I'm a big basketball fan. Uh, Michael Jordan, even at his Hall of Fame speech, couldn't uh, forget that his uh, college basketball coach dropped him from <laughs> from the college team. Now, can you imagine? This guy went on to be the best in the world. Yeah, to be the best <laughs> in the world, but he still couldn't forget that he got dropped from a college football team. So it does. I guess it does sting, but uh, I guess that's when more mental fortitude comes into the game and stuff like that. And I, I, I don't want to leave this conversation without mentioning one thing that actually we have in common is the fact that we've had stints at Kickoff Magazine. Now, <laughs> please tell me about that period. Um, Nick said, I think, and Mark Leeson uh, told me about a time when you were uh part of the the Kickoff Magazine staff. And w- when was that? And what? And what? What was your role in there? Well, as I said earlier, I lost my job playing for the national team, so I was out of work for three years. Yeah. And um, in between doing the door-to-door sales and, uh, you know, um, all of that. And then um, Mark Leeson, who was the editor of Kickoff at the time, yeah. he had approached me to do his fan mail, <laughs> <laughs> to do his yeah. fan mail at five rand a letter. Yeah. And I would go in and do his mail. And he said, you didn't have to work the whole time. And I said, well, I've been out of work for three years. And then from there, I would run to subscription in the okay. Touchline uh, Media Department, yeah. subscription and do, and then run for the lost taxi. Yeah. To, to get home and then then Jerome McCarthy who was working in the photo agency he had uh, he was going to sign for Amazulu 
Mm. And he left immediately and I got offered the permanent position. So I worked for the same company mm. that Kickoff um, was in. It was called Touchline. Touchline, yeah. Touchline. Like I worked for, for the same company as a, as a first a librarian mm. and then as assistant picture editor. And then uh, when I became uh, ambassador for the World Cup in mm. 2007, I obviously had to relinquish that job. Yeah. You know, and then go out and do what I love. And when the World Cup was over, it was, um, what am I going to do now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, I've always been involved in sport. Um, and, w- and the chance to come back and coach, how did that come about? Look, um, we, you don't realize it, but on the field you were coach. Because okay. you're busy directing things on the field. Yeah. You know, people used to call me a traffic cop because my hands were all <laughs> over the show. Um, and I, th- I remember yeah. getting sent home from one of the camps because I got injured to go do a coaching course with Horskrita. I mean, it's way back. And then uh, Sarami said to me, you're not going to play forever, you know. And a guy from um, the Bale, PJ Williams, you're not going to play forever. Uh. And then I started doing my coaching license. And then Vera came along. You know, Vera Powell came along and uh, it was a whole bunch of coaches that went to sit down with her. And uh, I was still working for the SABC. I did a game yes, and came back to, to, to coaching. And then mm. Vera texted me. She wanted to, to speak to me and wanted me to be part of her uh, assistant for the first yeah. match. That's what that's were the words, the first match. Just the first match. The first match. match. Yeah, and then yeah. um, I became a I became an assistant and... Uh, I wish back then when I was playing, we had what they have now, video analysis. It would have made me an even better player. Yeah. The attention to detail. I mean, you just go into the field and you just play. And when you get to a set piece, you just pick up the person the same height as you. Yeah. Now yeah. there's a little bit more attention Way to more detail. information. Saves you time. You go straight to, to where the ball is. Who the, physic- know, where the, who the are. You know, we, we would say if it's a, a physical person you know Norco would um, the best header maybe Leandra right. would etc okay. so, so you, we'd you match pay, pay, we'd pa- mm. pair them up like that and everybody's got a role at a defensive set piece yeah. it's not just people standing there for the sake of standing there so it's all that all that attention to detail that I never had when I was playing we would just go to the field and we just play you know so but it's all about those small attention to details and then the video analysis you know, having to be able to look at yourself and critically analyze yourself mm, and see mm. in relation to the game plan, did I play well? Did I mm. do what I was supposed to do? We never had that back then. And I think that helps a lot, being able to um, get as much uh, footage of the opposition. Yeah. I mean, that's where our analyst Shalene is really good because of the network that mm. she has. So you have a game of Japan before you even played Japan. We had yeah. a recent game of this. So we could naturally see what they were doing and how we could plan against that right yeah oh, it's a it's, it's it's a different world it's not now. just playing the whistle anymore <laughs> <laughs> no it's a completely completely different world i mean dietary requirements exactly. i mean the ladies are looking uh leaner these days are quicker i don't know maybe it's the game is quicker or not but i mean Temi Khatlana is, is no, she's lightning quick very quick <laughs> no <laughs> so. she's she's matured over the last yeah, year yeah. or so she's just been unbelievable and um, a, like close control as well is, no is, she's really she's is, really is not brilliant. matured only as a player but as an individual as yeah. well um you know it's really been an eye-opener yeah. not the first year making the the CAF awards and not getting the award and, and i still remember having the conversation with her it was something we posted on instagram and uh, I sent it to her a year later. Yeah. And I said, if you are part of the banana that goes to the World Cup, 
I'm sure you're going to have a very good chance of, of of getting the CAF award. And then she gets two. The goal of the goal of the the goal of the year award. Yes, she got the goal of the year. Yeah, and, and what was the second one? Uh, CAF player of the year. Ah, yes, CAF of course. And you were CAF coach of the year. That's obviously. correct. Yeah. Ah, I don't mm-hmm, like cap off <laughs> to you, metaphorically speaking, because mm-hmm. I'm not wearing a cap today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, football's been wooing Caster Semenya. That's <laughs> been the big headline <laughs> in the news but, yeah. lately. Obviously, a woman of Caster's <sighs> stature will bring a lot of eyeballs to the game. I've know. had a chat with her on a few occasions, yeah. trying to invite her down to come to our training, um, but she's always been busy. Um, but I think uh, when I heard she was in France, I thought, okay, here's the opportunity for her to come down, and she didn't hesitate to she, come down. She, yeah, she came and uh, spent time with the team, yeah. That's right. She's just an inspiration, you know. Um, I think uh, all the diversity, all, all the challenges that she faced, yeah. um, she still goes out and perform. You know, and I yeah. think, and I think people don't uh, realize um, the effort that that goes into all of that. But she's just been tremendous, and now she's dabbling into football at JVW. That's going to be quite interesting. That is going to be very interesting. I might make a few a few trips down to the east myself to just see her play. Um, but I do I do appreciate the role you've played in South African football, and uh, I do hope that in 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 the near future we we see that this transition that I feel is happening with the women's game, it become fully professional. And as much as it's great that the young young women and young girls getting into the game are getting a fabulous education, they're doing it through what the US model did it before, obviously maybe not as big a scale, but it would be great if they weren't bound to other professions just to make a living. And they can apply themselves, you know, to to the game. And um, and I've sp- I've spoken when I was still uh, editor at Kickoff uh, after uh, Maggie left. Um, so I came in as editor, and I, I really before I left, I really wanted to get the story of women's football out because a lot of it, and I see everything as interconnected. So the the, the play on the field and the coaching is connected to the broadcast and the sponsorship and the storytelling like so the journalists have a role as well to get the messaging out there not necessarily get the scores and stuff like all the boring stuff out you know and stats but the stories I the stuff even in the men's game that really makes it kind of sexy you know no, it's, impo- it's, imp- it's important you know people see the play on the field but they don't really know who the player is, exactly, where the player yeah. comes from, the yeah. sacrifices the player has made. People don't see people don't see all of that. You yeah. know, they just see the glamour. You're on TV, but it's not just it's not just all about that. It's it's a whole package put in players, the sacrifices they make going to training every day. Yeah, yeah. You know, all the all of those sacrifices they make, and it's not even a full time job. You know that that's the sacrifices they make, but uh, I think uh, we just have to keep performing. Mm. I think uh, it's already changed mindsets. It's already changed perceptions. Yeah. Um, I remember a few years ago I was in Durban, Mm. and there were two players from the U.S. national team that came down. Mm. They had a little project there. I remember Veronica Pewa being there. By the way, the best left footer, the best left footer (laughs) I've ever played with, and again she could she could kick a ball. She once scored seven goals. Yeah. Seven or eight goals in a Kosafa Cup match <laughs> um, we were all there and they were speaking about um, where their game was and mm. where it went to and it's almost a similar path you know it's yeah. a similar path where when they eventually started winning these 
top tournaments, the World Cups and the Olympics, people very, really started to take notice of them. And now, you know, um, they're the best team in, in, in the world, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and the men's team are not currently doing that. Not even, clo- they're not not, even, not even clo- doing that, that well, and they're the best team in the world. Back-to-back World Cups. I that's, mean, really? No, that's, that's insane. Incredible. I yeah. mean, that's insane. So we just got to keep pushing. We just got to keep performing and get to the, to the to the tournaments and even do better than what we're doing. And hopefully that will change even more minds and more perceptions and get more sponsors on board. Yeah, hopefully. And it starts with the with the storytelling. Some incredible stories, I can tell you that for free. I mean, I've interviewed uh, Amukhalang, um, and there's a nice story. I'm sure you know Busisi Omkwena. Uh, she did for us uh, on Junaid Hartley's daughter. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, Faika. Yes, mm-hmm. Faika. Her she's, mom she's, she's studying at, UW, at uh, University of UJ. Johannesburg. Yes, yeah. she's mm-hmm. at UJ. And I thought, you know what? For her to still embrace football after what I dad had gone through in the game you know i thought that was quite quite incredible that still one of the stories uh, that stick out for me story of the stories that we love in all other sports we need to hear those stories in women's football no that's true stories of perseverance it's true a lot of the players a lot of players are breadwinners even though they're not professional mm. footballers um so the family relies on them yeah you know and i think them going out there onto the field and playing um yeah you know that is that is the effort and the work they put in. Um, I remember December when everybody was having fun. Yeah, these girls were training, wow. preparing for Netherlands and Sweden. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> <we> just, they <laughs> yeah. just got off Christmas and and Boxing Day and New Year's Day, and, were, and we used it. to send our training on a regular basis to make sure, because it's the off season. Mm, you know, mm. to make sure that players come back in, in a good shape, and that is the commitment and the dedication. The staff itself. Mm. We don't all live in the same province. So we're regularly chatting, interacting um, yeah. on how we can get the team to be better, how we can uh, do better things as well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's for, for us as a collective, and we always say if the team does well, the individual will stand out mm-hmm. because we pride ourselves on teamwork. Yes, you have the individuals like mm-hmm. Tembi, you know, um, Fifi, Fifi etc. Mm-hmm. You have those individuals, but uh, without the teamwork, Mm. For us, we pride ourselves on that um, teamwork in all aspects because uh, if you're not uh, together as a team, then, you know, you cannot get the the results and the performances that you want. So uh, whatever accolades come out of that, the team is always first. Incredible stuff. Thank you, Coach. uh, I must say that as a country, very proud of the achievements you've done in in a short space of time and hopefully you, you continue in the job and you leave one heck of a legacy um, as 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 a Banyana legend and head coach. I just want to say something, you know, um, the, the role that uh, Cecil has played. Yeah. Um, I don't think we'd have football without them. They've been yeah. tremendous, not only in the league, um, but in supporting Banyana. And then, of course, you cannot leave the federation out. Yeah. The support that we've gotten um, as female coaches has been tremendous, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. from Coach Malifi to Coach Tabu Sunong, you know, to um, Franz, who's the coaching educator. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes as coaches, we, we're afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. when you have such great support um, and stuff that you can bounce off, when Coach Shorty came back from the World Cup, um, you know, we could sit and say what were the challenges that mm-hmm. she faced because we were going to the World Cup. So it's all that interaction and that synergy mm. that you have. And I'm 
just grateful that I have that fantastic soundboard yeah. that I can bounce off, you know, um, because it, it really, really helps, really helps. Does it help to have a woman at the table, uh, really Dwaba being there as the first uh, female vice president uh, of SAFA? Well, she's really fought for women's football, you know, mm. along with uh, the likes of uh, Nastasha Tikles, the likes of um, Fanny uh, Smith, Smith, the likes yeah. of Nomsa Mashlangu. They've really fought for mm. women's football. Mm. Mm. And uh, we wouldn't be where we are if it weren't for those people, you know, mm. really mm. Um, fighting for, for, for women's football and making sure that we get the opportunity to play. Mm. Um, so for that, we're extremely grateful yeah. for them um, being around and just being able to also bounce off. You know, we, we, we're, able to, we're able to do that. And uh, I think my family has also got to take a lot of credit, <laughs> me being away from home, um, but just being a phone yeah. call away. So, yeah, um, the sacrifices you make for something that you love and really enjoy. Because um, I believe we, we, we're not put on earth just to be, but mm. to make a difference. And hopefully people remember me in making a difference. Ah, certainly you've already made one hell of a difference already. And I'm sure there's a whole lot more to come. Thank you so much, Coach. Thank you for having me. All right, that was our chat with Banyana Banyana head coach Desiree Ellis. Fantastic chat. I could sit and chat to her all day, if I'm being honest. But we do have a time limit, even though this is a lovely little podcast. I hope everybody who's listened to this has enjoyed it. And, you know, take take a little bit of time to uh, go out there and enjoy a, a woman's game. And you'll find, you'll find that you might have a blast. Go out go out to the Soweto uh, Nike Center to watch a game during the SAFA uh, National Women's League. And you'll be amazed at what you'll be able to see. You'll be entertained. At least I'll tell you that for free. All right, that's me, Sboom Jigeliso, host of the Sports Life podcast. That's it for me, Spoom Chigeliso, and you've been listening to the Sports Live podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Do also catch us on timeslive.co.za as well as Sowetan Live, Business Live. We are also on Iono FM, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you get your podcasts. It could be Spotify, Stitcher, Castbox, Pocket Cast, wherever. To connect with us, please use the hashtag SportsLive. Share your comments with us at Times Live or at Sowetan Live on Twitter. A big thank you goes out to the multimedia live team led by Scott Peter Smith and producer Paige Muller, as well as the Tiso Black Star Digital Sports Department, headed by Mninawa Mchana Ntoko. Our sound and audio mixer is Innocent Manike. From us at the Sports Live podcast, it's goodbye for now.